Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you've been able to make this time together. And a special greeting to those who will watch or listen to this message later, as you're unable to join us now. I pray you'll be as blessed as those who have tuned in to the meeting. Today we continue the series on the book of Acts, and we're supposed to be looking at Acts chapter 7 this morning. But if we just start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 7, it will not make sense. To look at chapter 7, we have to go back halfway through chapter 6 and pick up from where Mark Stoneham finished off last week. Last week, Mark looked at the first seven verses of Acts 6 when he spoke about obstacles or opportunities, looking at the choosing of the seven. The seven men who were chosen to serve the Hellenist Jewish widows to ensure that they were not overlooked in the distribution of food. It's a great message, and if you've not heard it, I would encourage you to watch it on the church YouTube channel or listen to it on the church website. Now, Acts 7 is the account of Stephen before the Sanhedrin, his message to them and his martyrdom. The second half of Acts 6 gives us the account of how and why Stephen finds himself before the Sanhedrin. When Luke wrote this account to Theophilus, he did not put in chapters and verses. Those were added much later to make it easier for people to navigate the scriptures. So today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6 verses 8 to 15 and then the whole of Acts chapter 7. I'm not going to read the whole account as that would take far too long. That is why I encourage you to read and reread this portion of scripture before today. As well as to be continually reading the book of Acts as we go through it in this teaching series. The portion of scripture that we are looking at today is centered on Stephen, the first man mentioned of the seven chosen to serve the widows. What we know about Stephen is what we read in Acts 6 and 7. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 5, the first half says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So why and how did Stephen end up before the Sanhedrin? And what was he being accused of? We have to look at the end of chapter 6 to find out. Acts chapter 6 verses 8 to 13 say this. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. Now from verses 5 and 8, we see Stephen is full of faith in the Holy Spirit and full of God's grace and power. And because of this, he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. This upset members of the synagogue of the freed men. Now scholars agree that Stephen was Greek speaking and a member of the synagogue of the freed men where he was having discussions, or could we say arguments, with the other members of the synagogue. 
But as verse 10 tells us, they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Stephen was doing the same things that Jesus did, signs and wonders, and then explaining the scriptures in a way that no one else could. So they did the same thing they did to Jesus. They got men to lie about what they had heard Stephen say, saying he spoke words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. They dragged him off to the temple to be brought before the Sanhedrin, where once again they brought false accusations against him. Verses 13 to 15 tell us they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now the main accusations against Stephen was him speaking out against the temple and the law. The temple, the place where the presence of God was and where he was to be worshipped, and the law, the commandments or word of God, his instructions to his people. Before I get into Stephen's reply, I want to comment on verse 15. All in the Sanhedrin who looked upon Stephen saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Was it glowing and shiny like we see in the Renaissance paintings and as Moses' face was described after being in the tent of meeting with God? Or was it that he was extremely serene, calm and at peace with the whole process because he remembered the words Jesus spoke when describing the end times as found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 12 to 15. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. It could well have been for both reasons. We know that he was full of the Spirit, most probably because he had been in the presence of the living God, where he was reminded of the words of Jesus. When we don't spend time in God's presence, it is so easy for us to lose our peace and not carry the presence of God with us. Now the accusations brought to the Sanhedrin against Stephen are about him speaking out against the temple and the law. And it's the high priest who speaks first. Acts chapter 7 and verse 1. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? Now how does Stephen defend himself? He goes through a selective history of the nation of Israel, looking at Abraham and Joseph, but focusing primarily on Moses, and then finishes with brief mentions of a few other men. Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He then speaks about the 400 years that they would spend in Egypt, ending up as slaves, 
and the family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He then mentions Joseph, how he was rejected by his brothers. Acts 7, verses 9 to 10. Because the patriarchs, that's the brothers of Joseph, were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. He then moves on to Moses, the main character in his response. Verses 18 to 22 of Acts 7. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Now we know about Moses, who at 40 years old was rejected by his people and having to suddenly leave Egypt. And he ends up in the desert, living among the Midianites. Verses 30 to 34 of Acts 7. After 40 years had passed, an angel appears to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not, did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. Moses' last 40 years of his life are spent in the desert where God gives him the Ten Commandments and the law. Acts 7 verses 36 to 39. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and for forty years in the desert. This is what Moses, who told the, this is what Moses, who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert, with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. What do we see when we read this whole portion of scripture and the verses that I've selected? As we look at each of these three men, what do we see? When we look at Abraham, we see that God spoke to him twice before he even entered the promised land. He was given the the covenant of circumcision, but the temple and the law were nowhere in sight. Joseph, in his life, the patriarchs, his brothers, were blessed by the one they had rejected. They rejected Joseph, and yet he was the one who blessed them and took care of them. Now, Jesus was also rejected. Joseph lived in a foreign land with no temple, but God's presence was with him, and God spoke to and through him and gave him supernatural wisdom. 
from the time of Joseph, Joseph to the time of Moses is around 400 years. And God's presence is with his people throughout this time, even though they are living outside the promised land. And then finally, Moses. Moses was born Jewish, but raised, educated, and lived as an Egyptian for 40 years. He was then rejected by his Jewish people when he tries to help them. He lived among the Midianites for 40 years. Then God speaks to him from a burning bush. He sent back to Egypt, where he frees the people doing signs and wonders. He then leads them out of Egypt, and he meets face to face with God on the mountain and in the tent of meeting. The Ten Commandments, the law and tabernacle are established under his leadership. Moses meets face to face with God in the tent of meeting, wherever they are traveling. He's in the wilderness for 40 years, and he meets with opposition quite frequently from those that he's leading, all the while still doing signs and wonders. We see with Joseph and Moses, they were both rejected by their own people, and yet served them and blessed them. And Moses can be seen as a type of Jesus. Both are sent by God to redeem the people. Both are rejected by their people, but both still redeem them. The tabernacle is brought into the promised land by Joshua and remains in a tent until Solomon builds the temple. Stephen makes one last point as he gives his abbreviated account of their history. In Acts 7 verses 40, 48 to 50. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Now imagine you are one of the members of the Sanhedrin. Now unfortunately, ladies, you will have to think like a man to do this, as all the Sanhedrin were men. You're sitting there, and all that you've heard is what you already know. So why is Stephen rambling on? What point is he trying to make? I believe that he's pointing out two things to them. Firstly, that he knows the scriptures and is therefore not blasphemed against Moses or God in any of his arguments. Secondly, that God is not restricted to the tabernacle or temple. He's everywhere. Abraham, Joseph, and Moses all encountered God outside of the promised land and before the tabernacle or temple was built. And that the temple actually points to something or someone greater who has already come. Up to this point, Stephen has been very polite in, in demonstrating his knowledge of the scriptures in making his defense. But then it all changes. Stephen goes from defending himself to laying all on the line to those who are listening, especially the Sanhedrin. He's now in attack mode. You can almost hear his righteous anger as he continues to address them. In verses 51 to 53. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. 
You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Up to this point, the members of the Sanhedrin would have been sitting quite comfortably in their seats, nodding their heads in agreement, acknowledging the truth of all that Stephen was saying. They were at ease. No blasphemy, no contentious issues so far, when suddenly they are shocked out of their complacency, sitting bolt upright, fully alert to the harsh words just spoken to them. They rise up in their anger, but Stephen just fixes his eyes on God. Verse 56 of chapter 7 tells us, Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He doesn't look at the trouble that is confronting him, even when he is dragged out of the city and they begin to stone him. Now, there's no historical proof that Stephen saw the crucifixion of Jesus. He could well have been there. But I'm pretty sure that he would have been part of the group of the 120 disciples that were gathered in the upper room between Jesus' death and the day of Pentecost. But we have no evidence of that. That aside, he responds in the same way as Jesus when he was falsely accused. Jesus was accused, tried, and sentenced to death. And Stephen responds in the same way as Jesus, but just in the reverse order. In Acts 7, verses 59 to 60, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen is moblinched. The Sanhedrin has no authority or power to sentence and execute anyone. That was why Pontius Pilate had to sentence Jesus. Here it is mob rule. A mob that is out of control ends up killing an innocent man. Stephen becomes the first of many Christian martyrs. How many times have there been scenes like this recently, where peaceful protests are hijacked by a minority and end up with mob violence, even looting and killing? Those in authority who should have prevented the murder of Stephen did not just do nothing to prevent it. They actually joined in and took part in the stoning. Now we see in the world today that there's still persecution of Christians happening all over the show. Many nations. It's actually the governments that are persecuting the Christians. And you hear stories of many of those men and women who have to stand before their governments, where they too stand like Stephen, serene and at peace, and are willing to die for their faith. They have a peace because they have an understanding of who they are in Christ. Now, I love the way the NIV translates the last sentence of this chapter. He fell asleep. Stephen is sleeping. He will awake and rise again. This is a promise that all born-again followers of Jesus Christ have been given. Our physical bodies might perish, but our soul lives eternally. And on the day that Jesus returns, those who are sleeping in Christ will rise again. And that goes for all the martyrs of this world and for every one of us who knows Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And in this time of COVID-19, where there's so much death, 
we can be assured that when our life here on earth ends, it's not the end of our life, but it's the end of this physical body. Our spirit lives on, our soul lives on. And one day we too will rise with Jesus. When he returns, we will rise to meet him and be present with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you assure us of your love and your presence with us. And Father, whenever we face trials, that we too can be like Stephen and fix our eyes on you, that we look not at the circumstances, but we look to you. And being in your presence, we have your peace, we have your wisdom, we have your knowledge. And you'll give us the words that we'll need to speak at those times. Now I pray, Father, that you'll help each one of us each day to have that time with you. At the beginning of the day and then throughout the day, to stop and pause and have a moment with you. And that you are there whenever we stop to pause and be with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you are with us always. That you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And that this life that we are living is but just a temporary thing. And when our bodies cease to work, that we go to be with you eternally. But one day we too will rise again when you come and restore all things. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. Thank you. Amen. We're going to break out into, into breakout rooms. And I've got three questions for you to ponder. Now put them in the first person so that you can take it on for yourself, but obviously discuss within your group. Question number one, how do I respond to false accusations? How do I respond to false accusations? Question number two, do I depend on the Holy Spirit to lead me as I defend myself against false accusations? Do I depend on the Holy Spirit to lead me as I defend myself against false accusations? And number three, would I be willing to be martyred for the sake of the gospel? Would I be willing to be martyred for the sake of the gospels?